Well, good morning, Crossway. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Like I speak for all of us when I say I wish we could be doing this in person. I, I really miss seeing you. I know you feel the same way about one another. I, I do hope you saw Mike's email of this week talking about the target date of our regathering of Crossway Comeback on June 21st. We, we, Crossway, we want to get together in person as soon as we can, as wisely as we can. So would you pray for us, continue to pray for us. Thank you for praying for us. We sense God's presence with us as we make these decisions. So I just wanted to say we, we miss you and, and are eager to gather together in person as soon as we can. Before I get started this morning, I did want to pass along some family news. Congratulations are in order to David and Jody Dvorak on the birth of their little boy, Canaan Joshua. Wish we could see you this morning, Canaan. We're delighted to welcome you into our church family, and we'll pray for you as we pray for all the other little ones that God brings into our midst, that you would soon come to know and love the Lord Jesus, just like your mom and dad do, and just like we do. So congratulations, Dvorak. Well, this morning's going to be a little different than normal. Kids, I think it may actually be briefer than normal. This is my last opportunity to address you, Crossway, as one of your pastors. So I wanted to talk about that before looking briefly at a story in the Bible that's really meant a lot to me lately. As many of you know, I will be soon joining the faculty of Bethlehem College and Seminary in just a few weeks. My official title, and feel free to use this in the coming weeks when you see me, it's a mouthful, is Assistant Professor of Greek and New Testament Theology. So I will take up that post on the 1st of July. We actually move on the 25th of June. So it is coming very, very quickly. And if you know me, then you know how much I love, how eager I am to teach people the Bible. In fact, I have a special place in my heart for training pastors. It's why I've loved being part of Crossway's pastoral training course for the last five and a half years. It's what I feel gifted to do. It's, it's actually, if you know my family, it's actually what my dad has done for over four decades. I, I feel a deep obligation to pass on to others what others have passed on to me. Pe people have diligently invested in my spiritual, biblical, and theological development, and I feel this kind of sense of duty to do that same thing with others. And of course, I don't need to tell you that this was a really hard decision. In fact, my first response when Bethlehem reached out was, no way! I said it a little more politely than that, but that was the gist of my response, and that was last August. But over this last fall, I felt an increasing sense that God was directing us there. God was directing us up to Bethlehem. As best as I can discern, that kind of teaching, that, that kind of focus, it fits me even more than serving as one of your pastors. As hard as that was, and I'm just going to be frank with you, as, as hard as that still is for me to say. Crossway, you have been a significant part of my family's life for nearly 15 years. I, I remember the day we showed up, one August summer Sunday back in 20, 2007, with 
only Asher in tow, and we sang these beautiful new songs. We discovered that the excellent preaching we'd heard that morning was actually from an intern, a guy named Jason Dahlman, who is now a dear friend, to the Sunday seven years later when Mike called me in Detroit one Sunday night, wondering what I'd think about coming back here to Crossway and joining the team. To this Sunday, as I sit here in a place that's become our home. It's the place where, like many of you, we discovered that the gospel, the good news of what God did for the world in Jesus, has good things to say for people who are already Christians. Gospel's not just a message for people to become Christians. It doesn't just hold out hope for us at the end of our lives. It's full of goodness for us now. Crossway, I discovered that truth here. This is a place where we have met some of our dearest friends, where we've sent some of them to the corners of the globe. It's a place where we've had some of our most profound experiences of God's presence, of his provision, of God's pruning. It's where we felt God's love expressed to us, not least through so many of you. It's a place from which our family has been able to send out strong roots into a neighborhood, into a school system, into a, a beloved little soccer family that we call the Kings. So saying yes to Bethlehem wasn't easy. It wasn't said on a whim, it, and it wasn't said without deep affection for you and sadness for what that yes would mean for us, but also for you. It, it's really important for you to hear me say that. And it's important for you to hear me say as well what I try to say whenever I can remember, what I try to say whenever we send out one of our CPTC families. I usually say, as much for my sake as for theirs, I say something like this, this is a hard goodbye, but it's also a temporary goodbye. It's a hard goodbye, but it's a temporary goodbye. And I know that can sound trite, it can sound cliche, but that doesn't make it any less true. There is a place that God is preparing for us where we will all be together. We'll be joined together. Our mission will be completed and we will be together with the Lord where this world will be turned right side up just as it was meant to be. In fact, that's actually what I want to, what I want to talk with you for a moment about this morning. That, that's what I want to draw your attention to briefly. So if you've got a Bible, would you find Revelation chapter 5 and open up your Bibles to that chapter? I, I've been thinking about this chapter and the story it tells for about a solid month, ever since I taught through it with some of you in our bird's eye view of the New Testament class. It's a story that I think God wants us to hear this week, not only or even principally because the Comptons are leaving, but because we as a church, as individuals, have experienced once again over these last couple of weeks the problem, the desperate, heartbreaking problem right at the center of this chapter. It's a problem that made an old man weep. And it's a problem that makes many of us weep. So trusting that God has good in his word for us this morning, let's read Revelation 5 together. 
This is the word of the Lord. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You know, I, I thought about trying to preserve the chapter's tension by reading it gradually in parts, just a little bit at a time. It's one of the most dramatic scenes in the entire Bible. I hope you felt that as I read it. It starts out grandly. We're in the very throne room of God himself, in the throne room of the Ancient of Days. It starts out grandly, but then it turns sad, like really sad. John, an old man of some 90 years, who'd seen so much, sobs, he weeps, he heaves loudly. Then there's this moving, soul-stirring, champion enters the room climax. It's like a depth charge that sends shockwaves throughout the universe, shaking the very rafters of creation. It is an amazing story about reality. I almost don't want to spoil it by explaining it, but I do want you to feel it. I, 
I think we must feel it and feel it deeply. So to that end, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to draw your attention to two things in this chapter, two things in this dramatic scene that we've just read. First, there's a problem, and second, there's a solution. So first, the scene begins with this gut-wrenching problem. There's this grand story that God wants to tell. He's promised to tell, but he can't. At least that's what it momentarily feels like. There's the scroll in God's hand, and it's full. It's, it's written on both sides. It's full of plans to turn the world right side up. It's what John desperately wanted to see. It's what John desperately needs to see. It's what he wants to experience. It's what his suffering friends kind of scattered all throughout Asia needed to see and experience. It's what we're desperate to experience. This unopened scroll contains the almost unbelievable end to God's creation-long story. It it tells of wrongs righted, of justice served, of loss recovered, of sorrow redeemed, of tyranny undone. It tells of Satan, our oldest and worst enemy, defeated. And, And like above all of this, it tells of a perfect place where God will dwell with his people forever and ever and then some more. And John's told, he sees with his own eyes, this is verses two through four, he sees that no one is worthy. No one is able to tell that story. No one's able to open the scroll and unfold the narrative inside. Nobody. Even in the most likely place where you'd find somebody, nobody in heaven. What about on earth? No, nobody on earth. What about under the earth? Nope, nobody there either. I mean, what would you do if your dad or your boy was killed? They were killed, and you were told there's not going to be any reckoning. They were killed unjustly, and you were told, sorry, there's not going to be any justice done. Or what if your friends were suffering loss, injustice, slander, and you'd kind of propped them up propped up their hope with promises of relief. It'll be okay. Good things are coming. You'd prop them up with those promises only to discover that you'd made your friends empty promises. That the world would end without ever being turned right side up. Those were John's experiences. Those were the experiences of the churches that he served, of the Jesus communities that he loved. And he did what you would do if you lost hope, if you had no hope. He he weeps loudly. I mean, did you see it in verse 4? He weeps loudly. The world's broken, and it ain't going to be fixed. It's upside down, and it's going to stay that way forever. Sorry. John is overcome, and so would we be, and so are we. Because we can feel just like that. I mean, don't you feel the world is broken? Don't you feel the shadows deepen? Don't don't you sometimes feel this so much you could burst? It's a big problem if the world's going to stay the way it is. It's a gut-wrenching problem. But it's also only where our chapter starts, not where it ends. Look with me now at how it ends. The scene begins with this gut-wrenching problem, but 
The second thing I want us to see is that it ends with a breathtaking solution. There's this place in the Lord of the Rings that's kind of been my quarantine uh, book. I've been reading through and kind of sneaking away minutes to read through the books. Well, there's a place at the end where Tolkien's prose rises to the level of poetry. It's almost musical. He, he does this kind of throughout the books. Yes, I know he actually writes poetry in the books, like lots of it. But there's these places where his words, they capture something so beautifully, it's almost lyrical. Well, one of those places comes right near the end. Sam and Frodo, they're making their way through the land of shadow to Mount Doom, kind of to the end of their quest and probably their lives. And one night as Sam keeps watch and Frodo sleeps, Tolkien pins these hauntingly beautiful words. This is what he says, far above the Ethel Duath, that's a mountain ring on the west of Mordor, far above the Ethel Duath in the west, the night sky was still dim and pale. But there, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark tor, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For, like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. John, in our story, he doesn't see a star above the shadow, but he does hear a voice pierce through it. This is verse 5. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You can imagine John kind of doing his best. He's wiping away tears. He's just been sobbing. He's trying to compose himself so that he can see what the angel is talking about. And it's just in time. Because at that moment, John sees, we read, between the throne and the creature surrounding the throne, John sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And the lamb as John watches, takes the scroll from God's hand. And at that moment, John's hope is rekindled. Hope returns to him. John recognizes in a moment that the shadow that had sort of enveloped his view was really only a small and passing thing. There's a solution to the problem, John. This gut-wrenching problem finds a breathtaking solution. Someone will open the scroll and turn the world right side up. And you know, the response to this news is just what you'd imagine it would be. The taking of the scroll kind of detonates this depth charge in heaven that kind of sends shockwaves throughout the universe. I was a, had half a mind to compare this to that scene at the end of The Return of the Jedi, when the Death Star, like the third or fourth one, explodes, and everybody celebrates, 
all across the galaxy, but that is a pitiful, wimpy analogy to what's really going to happen. First, these wondrous heavenly creatures, they make up a new worship song, like right on the spot. Then the shockwaves move past them and they extend to the countless heavenly hosts, millions upon millions of creatures whose splendor would tempt you to worship. They explode in praise, which then ripples out even further to the farthest reaches of the galaxy and the deepest corners of the earth. Everywhere that there are creatures made by God, there is praise given to God and to this scroll-taking lamb. But it's not the praise that makes the solution breathtaking. It's the solution itself, and we've got to see it. It's right at the center. It's the fact that God turns the world right side up, that he defeats the devil and restores creation, not through a mighty champion, He defeats evil, sin, and death, and makes all things new, not through a mighty champion, but through a suffering servant. The lion that everybody expected, Satan included, is actually a lamb. And he conquers not through violence, but through sacrifice. The lamb dies, and his death defeats evil. It frees us and creation from the devil's grip. The lamb dies and frees us and this world that God has made from the devil's grip. Because where sin is removed, Satan has no claim. The lamb's sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, it gives God the right to snatch people out of Satan's tyrannical kingdom and to safely deliver them into his own. It gives God the right to end the story the way he had planned. A perfect world full of people from every corner of the globe, full of love for God, love for one another, who dwell with him and with each other forever. It is a brilliant stroke, a breathtaking stroke, planned from eternity past and executed with absolute perfection. The Lamb now has the right to make all things right, to turn the world right side up, and he will. I mean, read the scroll. Read this gift of a book, which is Revelation. All right, let me conclude with this. I hope you see what's at the center of this story, what's, what's at the center of this brilliant scene. It's what drew our family so many years ago to this church that we now call home. It's, it's what's at the center of this church we love, you love, and it's what must remain at the center of this church that we love. What's at the center? It's the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done through Jesus for the good of his people and for the good of the world. So let me end my season with you as your pastor by saying this. Do you feel the world is broken? Do do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. 
I mean, we must. How, how could you not? But Crossway, do you know, like really know, that all the shadow, all the dark, it won't stop the light from getting through. We, we do know that. We must know that. Crossway, Jesus has the scroll. It is in his hand. He will turn the world right side up once again. Let that breathtaking, mission-mobilizing reality remain at the center of your life. Live in the goodness of that reality every day. It's your deepest and your best good. Speak of that reality to one another. Share it with a world desperately in need of real and lasting hope. I will be praying that you do for God's glory and for our eternal good. Amen. Well, be looking this week for more information in the kind of weekly cycle. We'll send out a pastoral email on Wednesday and then, of course, further information in the Friday update. Be praying for us, Crossway. We are eager together again as a body. Commit you to the Lord and to his grace. God be with you until we see you again.